0: Genesis 4 in your Bibles as we continue this series on foundations, and it's so vital, so important, of course, for all of us. I mentioned our young people in particular this summer, but honestly, all of us need to push that reset button and understand the beginning, the foundations of everything we believe is vital for truly understanding and believing what we hold to, Genesis 4. And let's read some verses together and then we'll pray. Verse 8 says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Well, that's a lie. When you kill someone, you know where you left them. I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said... What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. His blood identified him. To this very day they use DNA and blood and so forth in murder scenes. But this is the God, the Creator. Verse 12 says, When thou tillest the ground, Cain. It shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I ask that you'll help us tonight all of the distractions of the day of life. That you'll help us, Lord, to cast those out, any sin between us and you, Lord, and whatever might hinder us, Father, from hearing the Spirit, and the truth of Your Word, please help us to open our hearts and our minds to Your Word. In this dark and deluded and blinded world, we need to hear truth and light, and I pray that we will tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. In last week's study, we noted how Cain and Abel, in this amazing book, the Scripture illustrates what the Lord Jesus basically states explicitly in the Gospels, namely that there are two roads and only two roads in the universe of salvation. There is the broad, very popular and populated road to destruction, and the narrow, that is God's road, the divine road to life everlasting. The broad road, the one that everybody wants to be on, is the way of Cain. As we noted last week, it is salvation by works. There's only, there's so many religions in the world, there's only two, salvation by works, the way of Cain, And then Jesus talked about the narrow road, and few there be that find it. The narrow road is the blood of the Lamb, which Abel brought unto God as an offering. That is called salvation by faith through grace. And we noted that when verse 3 says that Cain brought unto God the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord, he knew better than that. All of that labor and that wisdom, all that growing of crops and fruits and and orchards and beautiful flowers, whatever it was, and all arranged and picked and grown by the green thumb and the hands of Cain himself, this was man's way. This whole thing was perfect in the eyes of Cain and it made perfect sense. Why wouldn't God accept my way for forgiveness and salvation and favor? And in so thinking, Cain made three great errors. Three critical issues he was wrong about. One is the Word of God. We noted last week how he knew. Number two is the guilt of sin. We cannot cover the guilt of sin. Man cannot with just some works and labors of his own hands. And number three, the need of a blood sacrifice. So that his offering was not only not acceptable to God, not only was it unacceptable to God, it was actually an offense, an offense to God. His message was, I'm good enough. I'm good enough with my own way. And you know, there is a way, the Bible says, that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. For Cain, he became so full of envy over his brother, and then so full of bitterness about that lamb, that he killed his brother for his faith. Say, how do you know that? Because Jesus told us that. When Jesus gave that law in the Gospels, that litany of all of the the martyrs for the faith, he began with Abel, who he said, he was a martyr. He died for his faith. So, Pastor, isn't it a beautiful and, and rich culture that you see in the religions of the ancient Mayans? Isn't it a beautiful display of pageantry that you see over there in the Vatican or in a Buddhist temple or a mosque? I mean, preacher, look at the liturgy and the ceremonies and the robes and the mitre and the sacraments and listen to their, their prayers and their Gregorian chants and just smell the incense and you see all the colors. Doesn't God just love all of this being brought to him and for him? And Isaiah says, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags doesn't matter how pretty we think it is, the work of our hands, the fruit, the flowers, whatever it is. Because how can any of that be beautiful to God when really what the sinner is doing, what that religious person is doing, a lost soul, is rejecting God's son and rejecting God's gift of salvation through the blood of his son, saying, that's not enough. I'm good enough to make my own way. So, pride and unbelief, which is what that is, are never a beautiful thing before God. Chapter 4 verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Right off the bat, Cain lies to God. And it's reminding us again that one of the great hallmarks of the way of Cain is falsehood. That's why it's called false religion. If there's truth, there's going to be a false religion. It just propagates and in God's name, more often than not, a gigantic lie. And so you see, although it's just a portion of a chapter at the very beginning, far removed from the book of Romans, for example, or the book of Galatians, Genesis four is the foundation of the entire message of the gospel itself. It's a message of grace. And it is a reminder of the fact that faith is what God requires to be saved. Faith in his word, his gospel, which includes his son and the shed blood. What's interesting and very significant about this chapter is that God continues with Cain's life. He goes on from this moment to show us more about Cain and thus the truth and the foundation of everything that we see in man who rejects God's way. We've already shown and history has shown and the Bible shows that it's always the worked crowd that persecutes the grace crowd. All the way from Paul to the Middle Ages to this very moment. This text is an astonishing and enlightening revelation of why societies. Entire societies rise and fall and why there are still only two roads. To this day, there are only two roads in all of the world. Notice again, chapter 4, verse 11. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Several years ago, I read a best-selling book on history and anthropology. In fact, I've read it more than once, and it was called Guns, Germs, and Steel. I think I gave it to Rick, and Rick may have read it. We talked about it a couple times. It was it was, and remains hugely popular as a book about nations and, and cities. And the writer of the book, Jared Diamond, who's an evolutionist, and unbelieving professor at UCLA, he basically attempted to outline the beginnings of the rise of cities and civilizations and sort of explain how things happened and how they came about. And because he's an evolutionist, most of his observations were tainted by the idea of chance. You read the book, you realize that he talks about this just happened by chance, it was all random. Mesopotamia? Mesopotamia had the perfect environment for a civilization to flourish, and by chance that happened. And just by chance, you know, Babylon, Greece, Rome acquired their guns, so to speak, and their germs and their steel that decided the course of human history. Some civilizations, in other words, he says, got lucky and some did not. I remember reading the book and being fascinated by the fact that without him even realizing it, he pretty much confirms what the Bible says and what the foundation of Scripture says about how cities and civilizations come about. And you know, the difference, of course, between his observations, And what we're about to study tonight is that his information had a lot of conjecture and guesswork and trying to put pieces of a puzzle together, but Moses' writings here are inspired by the Lord God himself who was actually there. A moment ago, we read that as a result of this murder, and thus this rebellion against God, the Lord punished Cain by cursing the very ground. Remember this? This was where he took his pride, right? He, the fruits, the labor. So what does God do? He curses the very ground that was the source of his pride and his fulfillment and even his religion. Chapter four, verse 12. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You know, what's interesting about Cain's response here is that it doesn't include any remorse. There's no sorrow, there's no repentance, there's just resentment. First there was denial, am I my brother's keeper, he lied, and then he just rebels. And by the way, that's exactly what you find in the last book in the Bible, in the book of Revelation that we studied last time, people will shake their fist at God and gnaw their tongues in pain while cursing heaven itself. Mark it down, from Genesis to Revelation, man without God is a depraved lot. So what is Cain going to do? What's he going to do now? Is he, is he going to, he's not going to repent. He's not going to trust God. He's not going to till the ground because it's not yielding its strength. It's going to be too hard. So here's what he does. Verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. In other words, now follow this carefully. Because God rejected Cain's man-made religion, And and you remember last week, God offered him, if you do well, won't you be accepted? Of course. But he rejected that, God's way. He decided to go without God altogether. In fact, to be precise, the text says that Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah. That's an important distinction. Cain wasn't running from religion. He's not an atheist here. He's running away from the Creator. He's running away from the true God. And what he does at this time is essentially what man always does without God. He goes off and he builds a city. Look at verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. By the way, little parenthet- pa- parenthetical here, where did Cain get his wife? I don't know, it's supposed to be one of, the, one of the uh-ohs of scripture, you know, one of the great, oh, we got you guys. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, it's actually really simple. It's very simple and it's interesting that Moses, who wrote the law, also wrote this book, wrote the law about uh, the 10 commandments and so forth and laws about marriage. He also wrote this book and he didn't even hesitate Cain married a blood relative or possibly even his own sister. The Bible says, for example, that Adam and Eve begat sons and daughters. Having lived for centuries, you have to understand, you have to believe the Bible. It answers all the questions. Having lived for centuries, Adam and Eve could have had thousands upon thousands of children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren even by now. I suppose that every science journal in existence has published some article in the past on how genetic mutations always lessen as you go backwards so that blood was not genetically risky then as it is now nor by the way nor was it forbidden or a moral issue not by god after all eve think about this eve literally came from adam so well you can't marry your sister that's too close eve came right out of Adam, that's as close as you can get to marrying your own relative, right? And fittingly, as we know, God in his wisdom gives the law much later than this. And he made this a moral issue. He ruled it out because sin down the road had done its damage. So Cain goes off and he runs from God and he builds a city. And when he builds this city, he does what powerful people with lots of wealth and cities do. He names it after his son. People name their things after themselves and after their, their children. And thus is born the entire philosophy of socialism and communism. I wanna say this, and again, I, I'm so glad the young people are here this summer because they're being inundated at school, on Twitter, Instagram, if they're on Instagram, inundated with these lies. You know, it's not an accident that Frederick Engels and Karl Marx were atheists. It is not by chance or just a coincidence that Red China, the old Soviet Union, Cuba, North Korea are all atheists. Why? Because the way of Cain is the way of man without God the collective bargaining to the ninth degree, the co-op, the hammer, the sickle, meaning man joins with man. This is what Cain is doing, getting away from God, but we're gonna build ourselves our own city, our commune. That's where communism comes from, our community for the betterment of man. And in our text, he's building a city, a civilization that basically becomes the umbrella Now, remember what God told Adam and Eve, replenish, go forth. That's what he, after Noah, replenish, go forth. In the book of Acts, the disciples scatter, go everywhere, and man never wants to do that. Everybody wants to be in the big umbrella, the city, the mega church, because man getting with man gets their protection from man instead of from God. The problem is, it doesn't work. Have you ever wondered why progressives hate the words rugged individualism? They don't like it. They just don't like the idea that people could go out and why? Because it goes against. That's that's an atheistic philosophy. It doesn't work. It didn't work in the old Soviet Union, obviously. It doesn't work in Marxist countries in Africa today. It's not working and has never worked in Cuba, in China, in North Korea in Venezuela now, that formerly oil-rich country. And to the degree that it works at all, it requires a police state. It requires this heavy hand, a government and a military that brutalizes its own people, even as they live in poverty. And you wanna know why? What do we learn about the first principle of man way back in one of our first studies here from Genesis chapter three? We learn that man has fallen. That man is depraved. He is not basically good. So what is going to happen when, when man gets together without God and builds a society? In other words, when you just increase the number of depraved people in a concentrated place, a community, what are you going to get? A lot of depravity. That's all you get. It's hard to comprehend even the number, the massive numbers of people. Millions who were murdered in the name of communism. Atheistic communism. And we have people in our government now that want us to go back to it or want to try it. They say, well, it's socialism. It's never been tried the way it should be tried. It's been tried every way possible. It's hard to comprehend the torture, the brutality, the bloodshed, that occurs when people try to do something as nice as being forced to sharing your goods. Doesn't it sound good? I mean, it just sounds good. Maybe. But man joining with man without God isn't nice at all. It is always and it will always be the way of Cain. It is a recipe for death and slavery. I still remember years ago when Winnie Mandela, the wife of Nelson Mandela, was caught supporting necklacing against South Africans who didn't embrace their revolution and their revolutionary ideas. You may remember what necklacing, and I know you young people don't know what it is, but um, you would see it whenever a brave someone who was brave enough in the news to put it on the news, it consisted of putting a rubber tire around someone's neck, neck and then dousing it with gasoline and setting it on fire. So they would burn alive from the head down. It was the Marxist version of burning someone at the stake. And for years, these teenage boys, mostly teenage boys, were being necklaced by Marxists in South Africa. And I still remember. I remember Winnie Mandela coming to America, New York University, and she was the darling of all of our universities and speaking here and speaking there. And they just praised her. And then finally, someone said, what about necklacing? You supported it, and you support it. And here was her answer in a moment of of truth. She said, let them die for the better good of South Africa. Right, the better good. Paul can tell you that in the old Soviet Union, millions of people died for the better good, not to mention the starvation in Ukraine before that. This is the lie of socialism. Without God, there is no better good. Young people, if you're teachers or somebody trying to force-feed you with these lies, there is no better good without God. So Cain goes away. And the Bible says he goes away from the presence of God and he builds himself a city. It says in verse 17, he names the city Enoch. That word Enoch means to initiate or to begin. According to Hebrew scholars, it means the beginning of something new. This is something new. This was not God's plan all along. Not in this way. Not without God. And for sure what Cain is doing in building a city that he's going to name after his own family is something new. And it's man's very first attempt at trying to substitute substitute his own paradise for the one that was lost in Eden. In other words, in Cain's mind, I don't want a future garden. Don't you remember what the communists, what Karl Marx called heaven, the opiate religion, the opiate of the people, pie in the sky? And so Cain predates him. He doesn't want a future garden, a future possibility. I don't want that. I want justice and the good life here and now. In every way, over many, many, many decades, he does. He builds a city. Cain builds a civilization. It had everything that every city has in the United States of America and all over the world. Think of the so-called great cities in the world. Just in your mind, you can hear them. Tokyo and Paris and New York and Los Angeles. It had music, industry, and luxury, but mostly, it had crime. Here's God's description. Here's the food. Look at verse twenty. And Jabal, and he. This is the. This is the generations of Cain. This is his family. And AWRJ J. Ball, he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. Cattle, yum, steak, there's your food. The best restaurants are in the big cities, right? I was driving here tonight and I saw, you know, those feather signs they have out in front over by Sunoco? And the one says, um, live bait, and the one next to it says, sushi. And I'm like, wow, you know, get them both right here. I don't know. I don't eat gas station sushi, eh, amen? I don't think so. So they got the food. Here's verse 21. Look at it. And his brother's name was Jubal, and the father of all such handled the harp and the organ. There's your music. There's your entertainment. So Cain's got it. He's got to have the food, good restaurants. Got to have the music and the entertainment. That's on all. Verse 22. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. That's the arts. Every city celebrates It's art with its museums and its galleries. And that's what all wealthy people give their money to, right? The Guggenheims. That's what they give their money to, the Kravitz and so forth. Because what's more important? Nothing is more important than these people without God who build these cities. Nothing is more important to them than their artifice, than their arts and their food. And so it goes, verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wise of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Well, every city has to have crime. There's an amazing little detail. So here's a city. You know, they're going to do it without God. They got their arts and they got their food and they got their music. And they have their crime. And in this lineage, there's a a detail in the genealogy that is sometimes lost in the reading. You understand that genealogies in the Bible are extremely, all of them are extremely important. They all have a purpose. And in this one, you will notice that in the line of Cain, God lists all the way to, quote, the seventh, the seventh from Adam. And then he pauses to elaborate on the seventh. This, none of this is by accident. The seventh is Lamech. He's a murderer. The completed, he's the slayer. Let's read it again. It's in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives; the name of the one was Ada, the name of the other was Zillah. In other words, here is the seventh. This is at the seventh, God stops, and He's going to elaborate. He sort of throws a straw into the wind to show us how the line of Cain is heading. Where this new line without God is developing and going, and why? Because the entire elaboration here is about Lamech marrying wives. This is the first polygamy. Killing someone. And then you notice, in contrast to that, what God does with the line of Seth. And the seventh there. He's the one who took Abel's place, who was murdered. Chapter 4, look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife, so... Cain knew his, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son and called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, in the line of Seth were those who represented those who had put their faith Not in collective man, but in God. Do you know the real difference between you here tonight and say the people down at the Elks Lodge or wherever is is calling upon the name of the Lord. You know, that's an act of faith. That means you, you pray to Him, you seek Him, you cry to Him, you turn to Him. He that cometh God must believe that He is and it is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That little phrase right there tells us that these were people of faith. Does God, therefore, pause at the seventh from Adam? Does he pause and elaborate also in this case? Because he did with Lamech. Look at chapter 5, would you? We're going to try to make this fast. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died, and Seth lived 105 years, and begat Enos, and... And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. They lived a long time. Remember again, the gene pool was nearly perfect and all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And so it goes, and so it goes with this amazing genealogy. And then we come, interestingly, to verse 22. And Enoch walked with God. After he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch Walked with God and then was not, he was not, for God took him. So, yeah, it elaborates the seventh. Let me read to you. Let me just remind you the book of Jude, the last book before Revelation in our Bible. The book of Jude says, Woe unto them that have gone after the way of Cain. Let me just remind you that Cain was an apostate. The book of Jude is an epistle. Specifically written about apostasy, meaning apostasy is those who know God and knew about God, but turned away from God. Cain knew the word and the will of God and turned away from God. So guess what it says in Jude in verse 14. I'm gonna have them put on the screen. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Whoa. Now think about this, Enoch was a prophet, that means that not only did Enoch walk with God but he also spoke of God and in this case we are told by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a man named Jude, we are told that he spoke about the coming of the Lord with his saints. That's the second coming. You see beloved, God never, never, ever has left himself without a witness, ever. Not now, not way back in these days. And you know, instead of God listing the production and the accomplishments of those in the line of Seth, instead of God talking about all of their business and their art and their music and their weapons, and there's no doubt they had much of that, instead of that. He uses a phrase in their genealogy over and over and over again that's completely missing from the line of Cain. And again, not an accident. What is that phrase? Look at chapter 5 again. Verse 3, it says, And Adam lived. Verse 5, And all the days that Adam lived. Verse 6, And Seth lived. Verse 7, And Seth lived. Verse 9, and Enos lived. Verse 10, and Enos lived. Verse 11, and all the days of Enos were 905 years. Let me ask you a question. Because we could go on. It says over and over again that they begat these children. And then it says that they lived. Here's the question. Does God ever say about that about anybody in the line of Cain? Nope. Not one single time. Never is that said about the descendants of Cain. You see, the city dwellers, they thought they were really living. They thought that they were living, quote, the good life. But in fact, they were dead. She that liveth in pleasure, the Bible says, is dead while she liveth. And these people who were running outside from God's protection to build their own umbrella, they were dead in trespasses and sins, as all lost people are. And then, there's something else that's peculiar about these two lines. And that is this. The Sethites, you'll notice, we're told over and over again that not only that they lived, but it also says they lived and then it says that they died. Now this is something significantly silent, completely silent again about the line of Cain. Let's just look at it real quick, the narrative once more. Chapter 5, verse 5. Notice the last words and Now, we already read that he lived, now it says, and he died. Verse 8, we're told that Seth, but it also says the last line, and he died. Verse 11, Enos, 905 years old, and he died. Verse 14, what's the last line say? And he died. Verse 17, these are the godly people. These are the ones who called upon the name of the Lord, and he died. Verse 20, the last line, and he died. And so it goes. But what about chapter 4? What about verse 18? Verse 18. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mujahel, and Mujahel begat Musa, and Methusael begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him, and so it goes, and Adab bare No, Never does it say that he lived, and never does it say that he died. In other words, it's as if heaven has no interest, that they're not even on the map of heaven. While those who call upon the name of the Lord, you know, the Bible says, precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's not a mourning time only. It's a rejoicing time. Precious in the sight of heaven. From God's viewpoint, when a saint dies, a child of God, that's precious. Because you know what happened? You lived and you died. But death, in the New Testament called sleep, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. In fact, look at chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, in all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Now, I don't have time to do this, but I've seen the charts, you've seen the charts. It's maybe one of the most fascinating studies of all is to see how long these people lived and how their lives crossed over and who knew the other. The fact that Adam was 930 years old when he died, that means that Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch even, all of these people were alive at that time that Adam was alive. They knew Adam. So you have two recorded deaths in the Bible. Hear this carefully. Abel, the righteous, and Adam, it says here in our text. And then the third one recorded in the Bible is Enoch who walked with God and was not. The first three recorded men to leave this earth, all went to heaven. God was populating heaven before Satan was populating hell. These were people of faith. And it is true that Adam lived long enough to see both prophecies that he had heard back in the garden began to flower. He he saw, number one, the declaration of death and the pride of sin in the line of Cain. And then he saw, number two, the line of the promised seed, that's Jesus, through Abel and Seth, the people who called on the name of the Lord. He saw them both. What he would not live to see and what we're going to study in the weeks ahead is that man would grow so wicked that God would eventually call on a man named Noah to build an ark. Nor would it be on this earth when after the flood, man tries again. What's the first thing he tries to do? Build a city, Babel. All these prideful men in a tower unto God. That's man's religion reaching up to God once again. You see, folks, the mystery of iniquities, as it's called in the New Testament, has already been at work in the world right here in Genesis 4 and 5. And what we see and understand what we can know as those who are enlightened by the Word of God in the year A.D. 2023, is it everything that's happening in the world today, the broad road and the narrow road, and the cities and trying to build umbrellas without God, that everything is happening exactly as God has said. In fact, I'll remind you what God said to Cain in verse 12. When he said, no longer will the ground yield to thee, no longer will the tilling of your hands be fruitful, Yes, sure, he went out and built a city, but remember, that was his joy. That was his fulfillment. He went out and he increased in wealth, sure. But all that he did with everything in the heart of Cain, it was still just drudgery and curse. He didn't live and die unto the Lord. Young people, you go off to college, you seek for pleasure, you get your degree or degrees, you get married, you have a family, you buy a house, you get some money, you get some popularity, some awards, you do it all. You do it with gusto, but I'm telling you, you do it without the blessing and the purpose of God behind it, it means nothing. You're not even alive. And it will mean nothing to you when you come to the middle and the later years of your life. You will discover that it's as Solomon said who had everything. Vanity of vanities. When Job was contemplating all of his money and all of his possessions, the wealthiest man of the day, his positions that he won hell, hell, the Bible says that he thought about all of these things and what these things were without God. And you may remember what he said in Job 6.6, 6, is there any taste in the white of an egg? He said all of these things, anything in life without God is empty. It is tasteless. And so it is in East of Eden where millions of Americans are in search every day for something, right? They're searching for something. In fact, anything that breaks the monotony and the drudgery of living their lives without God, even being told over and again that you don't need God. And that's why the Lord Jesus comes and that's why I'm glad I heard his voice when I was 12. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. That's where you live. You live in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, Follow me. For Enoch, Jude says, he prophesied in his day and he preached, the Lord is coming with thousands, ten thousands of his saints. It's just a reminder tonight that if you're saved, you're on the right road. But pastor, it's the narrow road. I know, Jesus said it would be. Most people, it's the right road. People of faith, people of grace, and the people of the gospel, not only do they enjoy the goodness of God now, but the best is yet to come. This book began in a garden, and it's going to end in a garden. And God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we continue to go back to the foundations and the beginnings of everything, we can even see why cities in America to this day Cities that do not call on you by name, that in every way they possibly can have excluded you, are filled with debauchery and crime and sorrow and suffering and lies and deceit. And even little tiny cities that men build in their own. Anybody, Lord, who goes without you goes in the way of Cain. Thank you, Lord, for the line of Seth, for those who called upon your name. For those like Enos who walked with you, may we do it all the days of our lives and may we have compassion on those who were lost around us, knowing that we were and you had mercy. Let's take the gospel to them as well. Please help us in Jesus' precious name. Amen.